Lord, I ask for your anointing now as I come to preach your word and pray that our hearts and minds would be open and that you would do your work in all of us for the glory of your name. Amen. You can be seated. We are finishing up our sermon series on Colossians today. And we're going to be looking as Paul ends this letter, um, how the gospel advances in the world and how the church grows. And the theme of this sermon series has been the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ. How is it that we make the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ known in the world? That's what we're looking at here as we close this um, letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians. You know, it seems that every uh, generation of the church has to wrestle with that question. How do we get the gospel out? How do we grow the church? Several decades ago, there was an emphasis in some circles in the church on um, meeting people's felt needs. And so the emphasis was, uh, the question was, what are people concerned about? Uh, They're concerned about relationships. They're concerned about finances. uh, They're concerned to get ahead in life. And so we need to preach about those things. And then at some point, you you sneak in the gospel. Um, And uh, we, we want to create environments that create good feelings. People want to feel good. See, we're after people's felt needs. People want to feel good. So we want to create church experiences that help people feel good. And that's the way you can grow the church and get the gospel. I remember one lady, our uh, former church, uh, a lady who was in marketing that visited the church a couple times. She, she suggested to us that we hand out coupons for people for free steak dinners. And that, that is how we would get people in the door, which would probably work, but we'd run out of money. And uh, they would come through the door, but maybe they wouldn't stay. Um, so that was not the best idea. But that was, again, what do people want? Let's give them what they want, and then we'll start talking. And it was interesting, there was a church that followed that model for many years, and then they did a study looking at their church membership, and they found that they had a lot of attenders but very few disciples of Christ. How does the church grow? How does the gospel advance? Uh, What we're going to see here is the apostolic way. The way of the apostolic church. The way of the apostles and really the way of Christ. And it's four things. So I have four points. Uh Uh-oh. I'll try to be succinct. (laughs) Prayer, proclamation, partnership, and here's the surprise one maybe, pain, suffering, sacrifice. That's what Paul comes to at the end of this letter. He wants the Colossians to be people of prayer. And so, as you look there, he says, continue, verse 2, 
steadfastly in prayer. Steadfastly in prayer. Paul knows what we know, that prayer is hard. And there are times when we want to give up on prayer, especially when we um, don't see God answer prayers according to our will or our timing. And then we can get discouraged in prayer. And then uh, the priority of prayer gets very low on our list as individuals and as a church. And so Paul knows that we need to be encouraged to continue steadfastly in prayer. And as you look at the New Testament, you look at the book of Acts, you see that's what the apostolic church was doing in the book of Acts. That they devoted themselves to prayer. That's the same word here. Devote yourself to prayer or continue steadfastly in prayer. So Acts 1, on the day of Pentecost, what were the apostles doing? Together with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the women. What were the apostles doing in the upper room? Well, Luke tells us that they were devoting themselves to prayer. And then the Spirit came. We want to see, do we want to see a move of God's Spirit in our day? There's a connection between that and devotion to prayer. Acts 2. They devoted themselves... To the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. See, this is the apostolic way. And then the church grew. And so, Paul says, you need to be people of prayer. Continue steadfastly in it. Even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. Then, number two... See, this is a small verse, but here are some three big things that Paul says about prayer that really helps us to grow in prayer. Number one, be persistent. Number two, be watchful. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus is wrestling with the Father in prayer. He's facing the cross. He's agonizing in prayer. Not my will, yet your will be done. Take this cup of suffering from me. And he's brought his disciples along to pray with him, and they fall asleep. And he goes to Peter and he says, watch and pray. Same thing, watch. That's what Paul is saying, watch and pray, that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So there can be a lethargy in prayer, there can be a sluggishness, there can be a sleepiness in prayer. A laziness when it comes to prayer. We have to fight against that. Uh, We're weak. We're human beings. We're made of flesh. And so we need to sometimes stir ourselves up when it comes to prayer. I have to usually have to have a cup of coffee in me. Sometimes I get up and take a walk. And some people I know in this church, that's how they pray. They walk and pray. They take walks and pray. However, you have to do it. You have to be watchful in prayer. And um, part of this, too, I think, is praying with expectation and looking to see what God does as you pray for people in situations. And you'll start to see what God does through prayer. And then he says with thanksgiving. He wants the Colossians to be people of prayer because people of prayer are those who are concerned to advance the gospel. He wants them to grow 
not just to advance the gospel, but to be more like Christ. So they need to be steadfast in prayer, they need to be watchful in prayer, and then they need to be people of thanksgiving, with thanksgiving. And uh, you need to remember, and Paul reminds us here, of, of his situation. He's not writing this from a condominium in Palm Beach. Be easy to say, oh yeah, you need to be a grateful person, a thankful person if you're living in luxury. There's lots of reasons to be th- But he's in prison. <laughs> he says, I, remember my chains. I'm in prison for the gospel. And yet, in prison, Paul was thankful. He opens this letter thanking God for the Colossians. So, Paul had developed a habit in his life of prayer with thanksgiving. It went together. Prayer with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving was part of the prayer. Peanut butter and jelly go together. Prayer and thanksgiving, it's integrated. It's part of it. And he had developed this habit of giving thanks to God. And that gave him hope. In these very difficult situations. This is something that, of course, we're getting ready to head in Thanksgiving. It's a good thing to remember for us is to develop this habit of thanksgiving. And uh, that doesn't mean that we ignore the pain and the suffering and the sorrow and the fear of life. But that in the midst of it, when we pray with thanksgiving, God brings us to a hopeful place. And we're not going through it alone. We can look back on what he's done. And I've seen this, friends, um, through my years and pastoring people going through difficult things. I've seen it. Actually, this has been a great testimony to me to see older saints as they end their life, as they're getting ready to die. Some of them, God gives them a special grace on their, sometimes on their deathbed to be thankful for their life for their salvation, and for the hope of heaven. It's a characteristic of Christianity to be thankful. So, uh, he wants us to be people of prayer, and he wants us to pray about the proclamation of the gospel of Christ. So he says, at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ is the, the plan of salvation. How God has planned to save both Jew and Gentile. And this mystery is no longer a mystery because Paul has been commissioned by the living Christ to proclaim this message of salvation. And he says, on account of this, I'm in prison for I, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul, uh, obviously, he's in prison. He knows that in order to proclaim this message to people... He needs God to open this prison door. He needs God to open these opportunities. He needs God to open hard hearts, closed hearts. It takes a work of God. It takes a work of the Spirit. And he needs God. And this is amazing because Paul was such a brilliant man. Paul was a brilliant man filled with great drive and energy. And incredible. he's had incredible spiritual experiences. He saw the living Christ on the road to Damascus. He crisscrossed the ancient world. This is the energy that Paul had on foot. Some people estimate over 10,000 miles he walked, which is like going back and forth from L.A. to New York several times on foot. That's the drive and energy Paul had, and he still needed people to pray for him. Open the door, God. 
and help me, Paul says, this brilliant mind, to make it clear. Because that's how the gospel advances. It's through the proclamation, the preaching, and the teaching of the gospel. People need to know who Christ is <coughs> and what Christ has done for them and their need for Christ. And so Paul says, will you pray for me? And we need to be committed to this, brothers and sisters. Pray that the proclamation of the gospel would go forth in clarity and power in this church and through us and throughout the world. God can open doors that man shuts. When God opens a door, no man can shut it. There's a missionary who died in 2013. He was a church leader, actually, not a missionary. A church leader in China named Samuel Lamb. Samuel Lamb would not allow his church to go under communist rule. So he was one of these pastors in China that had a house church. And he wasn't the first to do this. There's been a long line of these men. After the communist revolution, they won't... They won't put their churches under communist rule. Samuel Lamb was one of those men. And uh, he was arrested. And he was imprisoned. And he was sentenced to a labor camp in northern China. Which were like Siberian-like conditions. And his job was to work in the coal mines for 20 years. And he would put the train cars together he was a coupler and that was his job in those cold conditions every day for 20 years and they thought it would break his spirit and he did suffer he suffered a great deal but that didn't stop him when he got out God opened a door for him to continue and he continued to preach and he preached and he preached and and he developed churches and at one point there were 4,000 people meeting four, four times on a Sunday. And he developed this network. They distributed over 200,000 pieces of literature. He started linking house churches together with closed circuit TV. He started proclaiming on the radio. He came to such prominence that Billy Graham went over there in 1988 to meet this man. And once that happened, he was virtually untouchable. He was so prominent. You see what I'm saying? I mean, from a human perspective, it looks impossible. These communists are in charge. How's the gospel going to get out? God can open a door that man shuts. And, and that happens through prayer. That happens through trust. And we might be thinking here in America, there's, how are we going to reach people? There's such a decline. There's such a turning away. God can open the door. Do we believe that? Are we going to pray about that? God can do it. And, and there's the proclamation not only of our word, but our lives. And so he says in verse 5, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of, their t of the time. So we as, you know, all Christians are called to share their life with outsiders and to live their life in such a way that they see something different about us. And Paul is concerned. To walk in wisdom means that you're a person who your direction of life is determined by the fear of the Lord. 
Because the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so you, you should live your life in such a way. And, and, and your, your, your value system and your priorities should be different enough. Such a contrast that outsiders will recognize you as a person of wisdom. Different values, different priorities. And the goal here is, is to get the outsiders to get interested so they'll become insiders. <laughs> And that's what Paul is after here. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of their time. And one commentator said this, and I think he's right, this can be applied this way, is, is just to say, use your time to bless people. Use your time, wherever God has positioned you, whatever power, whatever circle of influence. One way to use your time wisely is to bless people in your words and in your deeds. And then... Um, uh, it's not just about our walk, but it's about our talk. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you might know how to answer each person. See, we can use our words to build up, right? We can use our words to build up and encourage and point people to Christ. And we can use our words, of course, to tear down. There can be corrupting speech. And we live in a time and a culture where a lot of people use their speech to tear down, to divide, um, to puff themselves up. And so Paul is aware of that and he has this wonderful image of, use, you know, let your speech be seasoned with salt. Salt was very important in the ancient world. It's important today. <laughs> But it was very important in the ancient world because it was used as a preservative and, and, and also, of course, a seasoner. And in the Roman world, salt was so important that some historians called the Roman Empire the Empire of Salt. And they would pay their soldiers at one period of time. You probably know this little trivial fact, trivia fact that the word salary comes from salt because they would pay their Roman soldiers at one period of time in salt. That's how valuable it was. And Paul is writing in that culture and he's saying, you know, we understand how important salt is. Well, let your speech be seasoned with this so that it builds people up and points people to Christ so that you might know how to answer each person. You see, the presupposition is by the way that you're walking and the way that you're talking, it's going to give you a relationship with people and hopefully they will begin to see something different in your life. And they're going to ask questions. And in that relational context, you can begin to engage somebody, an outsider, hopefully answering their questions so that they become insiders. This is how the gospel advances. I heard recently about a young man who was an atheist. He was a filmmaker. He got married to a Christian. She had fallen away from Christ and away from the church. But then she told her husband, guess what? Actually, I do want to go to church. And so he didn't really want to go with her. But he, uh, in order to keep the peace, went to church with her and he started to get more and more irritated about what he was hearing at church. And so he started uh, researching Christianity in order to kind of tear it down. But he had a good relationship with his wife and so um, he, he began to, to talk to her about this more and more and he started to get more open-minded as he did more research to find out that there is there are arguments, there are reasonable positions and answers for the existence of God and the Christian faith. And so he, um, 
he started to talk to his wife about that and answer, ask her all kinds of questions. And she said at one point, well, I've run out of answers. I don't know any more answers, but I know somebody who does. <laughs> good good uh, example for us is like if we're talking with somebody, yes, we need to do what we can to study, but we can be honest and say, I don't know the answer, but I'll help you find it. And so she put him in contact with a man who knew his Bible very well. The young man came with a list of questions at a coffee shop and said, let's just start talking about all these questions I have. I would love that opportunity to sit down with somebody who would just say, here's all my questions. I invite that. And uh, if I didn't know the answer, I'd point you to somebody who does. I'd get you in touch with Mike McClyman or somebody like that who's a, a walking encyclopedia. But anyway, this man, he knew, he knew so many of these answers. And uh, this, this young man left the coffee shop saying, I don't have any more questions. And uh, uh, my questions have been satisfied, really, is kind of what he said. And I'm willing to put my faith in Christ. And now he's making a film. He's a filmmaker about reasons to believe, which will be streaming, he says, on Amazon, maybe Netflix. And he's a very good filmmaker. But that's what, that's what, uh, that's how it happens. It's through relationships and spending time with people and then helping them get answers to their questions. And that's proclamation. The proclamation of the gospel, the proclamation of our lives. And then there's partnership. And I won't spend a whole lot of time on that. But you see that here, don't you? Um, Paul refers to his partners. Uh, he, he talks about Tychius, a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant of the Lord. Onesimus, verse 9, a faithful and beloved brother. We need to do this together, brothers and sisters. I, I, I read about an African proverb, and, uh, and it goes like this. If you want to get somewhere fast, go alone. If you want to get somewhere farther... Go together. We're meant to do this together. It's a partnership. And Paul had partners in the gospel. People who prayed for him. People who supported him financially. And ministers who worked alongside of him to get the gospel out. And then the final thing I want to point out here is um, pain. Pain. Sacrifice. It's a sacrifice to be a person of prayer. There's other things our flesh wants to do than pray. It's a sacrifice, it can be, to our reputation to build relationships with people that you work with, your neighbors. To build relationships with them is a sacrifice of time. Um, and then to start to prod a little bit, to ask them what they believe, that, that can be a sacrifice, a potential sacrifice of, of um, reputation. And there's easy, easier ways to kind of do that. I mean, we're not talking about beating people over the head with the Bible, but getting to know them, asking questions. Letting them know that you're a Christian. Letting them know you go to church. Letting them know when they start talking about their difficulties in life, saying something this simple. I heard that this week. 
It's a very simple low bar to kind of starting a gospel conversation. Four words. I'll pray for you. You just say that to somebody who starts to share their pain. That God can use that to spark a conversation down the road and then follow it up with prayer. So there's a sacrifice to be made here. And I think if we want to see the gospel advance in our time and we want to see this church grow in the gospel and see more people coming to Christ, the question I have to ask myself is I, am I really willing to pay the price to be a person of prayer and devotion to God? Um, that's a searching question. Am I really concerned to advance the gospel? Paul was somebody, you know, his level of commitment, I would like just a fraction of it. Just a fraction of Paul's commitment to getting the gospel out. Because there's other things that I'm concerned about. I'm concerned with my comfort. I'm concerned to um, look good in the eyes of other people. And those concerns need to get a lot lesser. And the concern for the gospel, that people know Christ and will experience life here abundantly and in eternity with God, that needs to get higher on my priority list. How about you? Is it? Are you concerned to advance the gospel? Are you willing to pray? Are you willing to sacrifice? To proclaim? To partner with others? I know you are willing to sacrifice because you're here today and you don't have to be here. And some of you drag kids along and that's a sacrifice. And so, the desire is there and we just pray for more of it. And that God would bless it and grow it for His glory. Amen. Lord, I do pray for that. I pray for that for myself and I pray for that for my brothers and sisters here and our family. That uh, we would have something of the heart of the Apostle Paul and of Christ Himself who came to proclaim the kingdom of God. And to see people reconciled to you, to see lives restored and families brought together and to see people free from addiction and to see people living abundant life, to see people walking in wisdom, to see people whose uh, speech builds up. God, to see this, that, uh, that something that our culture desperately needs, to see the love of Christ flowing through hearts that are transformed. We pray, Lord, that you'd give us, um, help us to be part of that project and continue to build up the kingdom of God here and throughout the world. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.